Why sober is dope? Why not? Why not? Why not be great? Why not set an example? You sober curious? Come on board. If you struggling, don't be afraid. Fear's not an option. We want transformation. We want people to live. If you're sober-minded, then you're clear-headed. You're closer to the source. You're closer to the all. You're closer to a higher vibration. Why is sober is dope? Because sobriety is life. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no depression. There's no running from your problems. It's facing your fears. Facing everything. No doubt. No going backwards. It's upward mobility. We moving forward. Let's time the man up. Okay, it's time to man up. Why sober is dope? Because sobriety is. It's the original panacea. You want to be healthy? You want to become a millionaire? You want to live your best life? And sometimes we have to make sacrifices. Everyone could talk a good game, but not many of us is willing to make a sacrifice. If you're struggling out there, don't be afraid. If you if you drugged out, there's hope. If you can't put that bottle down for some reason, it's hope. Why sober is dope? Because it is. It's life. And we promote life. We promote transformation and new beginnings. Yeah, let's get it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast with your host, Pop Buchanan. Ladies and gentlemen, we are very excited to bring you another exciting episode um, of the Sober is Dope podcast. Today, I want to start out by saying a few things as far as housekeeping is concerned. Um, If you're listening to this podcast and you're one of the many people that I love that's part of the Sober Dope universe, if you're here from Facebook, if you're here from Instagram or Twitter, um, I'm Pop Buchanan. I am uh, six years sober from alcohol. I am excited about my recovery. I am extremely passionate. The Sober is Dope podcast has been a mission of mine uh, for a long time. I, I really, really wanted to find a creative way and a cool way to tell my story. And I have so much to give. And I really want to give back to the next generation and anyone that's out there struggling with addiction. Um, I, I, I remember at some of the darkest moments of my addiction, I had no idea I could get this far into my recovery. I thought I was on my deathbed. I just thought the world gave up on me. I pretty much almost gave up on myself. The concept and the idea of me coming back from that type of death experience and that darkness, it was like the movie Insidious and Annabelle and Jason and all of the horrible things you could imagine wrapped up in one. I was like both in a sunken place and an upside down at the same time, if you if you could feel me. And God is good. God delivered me. And, you know, I never lost faith in God. That's why I'm here today. But this is serious business. All right. I'm not one of those people out there that's in halfway. This is it. I mean, I wear many hats. I have multiple businesses. I am a college graduate. I'm very successful. Um, 
you know, and this, uh, I started the Sober is Dope podcast because I wanted to really give back. So the first thing I want to say is the Sober is Dope podcast, the Sober is Dope shop, because you can go to SoberIsDope.net and buy anything from mugs to stickers to iPhone cases to hoodies to shirts, all all surrounding Sober is Dope. Because I wanted to appeal to a younger cre- um, um, audience. I wanted, you know, I got the book bag so kids could take it to school. And I just was hoping that the Sober is Dope movement could catch on. And it could be kind of like a little viral thing for younger generations to appeal to. Because it's too much. In the music, you have the promotion of drugs and alcohol. And, you know, and kids have to deal with the peer pressure. Then you're dealing with the fentanyl and the heroin and the dope crisis and all of this stuff. And... I wanted to just create some balance, but I'm doing it by telling my story. So I say all of that to say this, the Sober is Dope shop is non-for-profit. The Sober is Dope podcast is non-for-profit. Any monies that's made goes right back into getting um, better you know, better resources, um, you know, optimizing the sites and also um, being able to get better products out to you guys. So um, I'm one, one, you know, someone online kind of came at me and was like, uh, yuck, um, you're monetizing sobriety. And I had to really break it down, and explain it to them how passionate I was. And it was very understanding. Um, they understood, you know, that I was one of the good guys. And I explained it. I said, look, I make money in other ways. I would never use my sobriety as a way to line my pockets. And kudos to anyone that does. Sobriety is big business. I mean, you have to, a lot of people, in the, you know, run a lot of scams, whether it's rehab scams or railroading people into treatment centers when they're not ready. Um, doctors out there, you know, prescribing people pills and stuff to line their pocket. And, you know, these there's so many different people monetizing from other people's addiction. I'm not one of them, all right? There's not a lot of good guys out there. I'm one of the good guys, and um, I'm trying to create balance. And I just want you guys to understand that. Um, I do music. I, you know, um, I, I have my own production company. We have our own video team. Uh, I'm a content creator. Um, beyond that, I have, you know, uh, solid businesses. I'm a real estate investor. I work also with a really great multimedia company and I do advertising. So, you know, I, I utilize my education, my upbringing, and I'm very resourceful and I'm very blessed to have success in my life. So the Sober is Dope podcast is my way of giving back and creating balance. So I hope you guys, you know, I hope that helps because some of you guys may be listening to me for the first time. And I, and you might say, what's this guy's angle? What's this sober, dope thing? And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people's out there trying to fight for attention. I'm trying to save lives, all right? Um, the only people that could relate to me, that's people that was in the thick of addiction. And you know we speak the same language. And when you listen to this podcast, you guys are going to be able to know in your heart you know, Pop is the real deal. He knows where we're going. I know what the addict is going through. I don't care if you on fentanyl. I don't care if you on heroin. I don't care if it's alcohol. I don't care if it's crack. I could relate to you. Not that I did those things. Addiction is addiction. 
that vicious cycle of being addicted to something that's controlling you and holding you down and tearing your body and mind apart and your soul apart. I literally was about two weeks away from my deathbed. I lost everything. I lost my health, my weight, everything. I was a mess. And God delivered me. So I never knew I could be delivered. I didn't even think it was a remote possibility. I I thought it was over. I thought I went way too far. So I'm pretty much a living testimony and miracle by the grace of God that I'm even here talking to you guys. And when you see me, you're not going to even know I even took a drink a day in my life. There's no, there's nothing about me that suggests that I'm an addict, but I am because I'm genetically pre, you know, I was probably, I'm genetically going to be preoccupied with alcohol if I drink it. I'm i I'm not going to be able to stop once I start. Um, and I'm going to need hardcore intervention to stop. Because uh, my body's wired that way, my DNA's wired that way, I'm allergic to alcohol. And the allergic reaction is my inability to stop drinking once I start. So I can't be casual, I can't drink to unwind, I can't party and use alcohol as a medium for numbing the pain or communicating. I'm just, I'm a recovering alcoholic and I'm proud of that. And I'm glad that many went before us to do the science and alert and be be able to help us. Shout out to Alcoholic Anonymous. Shout out to the 12 Steps. Shout out to Bill W. Shout out to everyone out there that's fighting a good fight. So if you're struggling with alcohol or if you're sober curious and you're on the fence and you're not sure if you um, if you're ready to take the plunge. All right, because I know you have to, you know, sometimes it takes us 90 percent of the time you have to hit rock bottom. But there's a growing number of people who's not even on it like that. They're like, you know, uh, it's becoming trend. It's becoming a trend and it's trending. Being sober is trending because there's a lot of upside. There's nothing but upside with sobriety. Alcohol takes a lot out of you. You know, you hear it a lot now. People saying, you know what? Especially when you hit your 30s, you know, your mid-30s, you start feeling like that one or two drinks going to put you on your butt for the next couple of days. Your bounce back is not the same, and your body's response to it is not the same. So sobriety is, if you promote sobriety, you're promoting health, you're, you're promoting fitness, you're, you're, you're promoting longevity. Okay, so that's what I'm about. I'm a walking miracle and I thank God and I'm excited. And I feel like if God saves my life or, you know, and I got lucky because I I had friends who died, period. They weren't lucky like me. They died. They didn't have a break. They died in their sleep. I had a friend who died, who almost died right in front of me when I was in rehab. He flew off his bed and then wound up dying six months later. He was young. He was still in his 20s. And I was like, damn, in my twenties, I did so much crazy shit. I don't even, I don't even know how I made it. Why am I still alive if he died? What made me so special? So I guess God had a plan for me, and I'm not gonna keep my testimony to myself. All right, I'm a, I'm a walking miracle. So every episode of the Sober is Dope podcast is geared towards helping, highlighting the benefits of sobriety and all of the things that sobriety can give to us and all of the things that sobriety promises us. So ladies and gentlemen, I love you very much. My name is Pop Buchanan. You can find me on Instagram at Pop Buchanan or at Monk Healing, M-O-N-K-H-E-A-L-I-N-G or at Sober is Dope. Okay. Also on Twitter, same thing. Monk Healing, Pop Buchanan, Sober is Dope. 
all right or you could just google poppy cannon i have music videos out there i have a lot of content you're gonna see the podcast come up you're gonna see my music come up some i have poems out there i'm a creative guy i'm like a you know 2019 renaissance man um before i go any further i want to say rest in peace to tony morrison one of the greatest writers of all time um, she passed away today. Um, Toni Morrison is a total icon, and she's a literary, literary giant, and she helped change the way, um, you know, black people and women were expressed through writing and um, prose, and she's just a, a total superstar. So rest in peace, and, you know, if you're not familiar with Toni Morrison, go get some of her books and um, rest in peace. She's definitely um, a godsend and we will keep her in our prayers today. So moving along, the first thing I want to do in this episode, so this episode, ladies and gentlemen, is all about alcoholic parents, okay, which I think should be a no-no across the board, okay, because I'm not perfect, but I don't have children, and I always knew the buck would stop once I had a kid. At least I like to think that because I think everyone thinks that. Oh, if I ever have a kid, I'm going to stop drinking. But, you, you know, you see it. You know, a kid that grows up in an environment where the parents or one of the parents are a, is an alcoholic or doing drugs and they're abusive, it's horrible. It's a nightmare. It creates numerous developmental issues in a child. It can create sociopaths and axe murderers. It could create people, degenerates and delinquents of society. And it could just create so many problems for the poor child. So I definitely cannot sit back and not touch this subject. Because the whole point of the Sober is Dope podcast is to encourage people to be sober by explaining the highlights and benefits of sobriety and how awesome it is. But if having children is not a motivator enough, I don't know what is. And I can't wrap my head around the concept of someone who's going to really drink to the point of intoxication and a point of abuse when they have children in the household. And it's getting really old when you hear about the parent that's drunk and hits the other parent and abuse the kids and the kids grow up sheltered and, and psychologically damaged and scared and fearful and it stunts their growth and their development. Um, it's horrible. You hear horror stories out there, okay? All right? Abusing the household, and I'm talking specifically not just to the men. I'm talking to women, too, because there's many women out there who has children and who's, and their husband is sitting home trying to get them into recovery, and, and they, they're, they're being toxic also. And there's many, but, you you know, traditionally... You would usually hear, oh, my dad would come home drunk and beat my mom and he would just get drunk and fall asleep and abuse us. And then you hear all of these horror stories. All right. Shout out to David Goggins. I was just reading David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. And a lot of his fuel that and a lot of the things that fueled his success and his his ability to challenge himself 
was his father's abuse. His father was an alcoholic, used to beat the mom, used to beat them, and then they found the courage to get in the car and drive away one night, and they never looked back. And um, David talks about his brother staying with his father, and that kind of created a wedge between them, but he he encouraged his mother to leave the abusive um, environment of the father. You know, and the father, when he describes the story, sounds crazy. It's like living with a monster. And that's exactly what alcoholism creates monsters. All right. So you could be sad if you're alcoholic. You could be in your own pity. You could be struggling. It doesn't give it never gives you a right to become a monster to other people. And that's where you kind of have to draw the line. And I'm not coming from a point of I'm not being high and mighty. When I started realizing that my addiction was making me a monster, that's one of the largest motivators that I needed to stop. And I literally left everyone because I just was like, my family was like, look, you starting to become a little crazy and we ain't with it. All right. We're not with it. We're not trying to deal with that. And I noticed in my heart when I had a fight with my mother, it was a verbal fight. And, um, you know, the cops came and then I kind of cops was going to shoot me. My mom, was they was like, young man, we're not going to tell you one more time. If you either shut up and go to bed or you leave. And they got the cop had his hand on his gun. And my mom looked at me. She said, Joe, I know you drunk. Please go to bed, man. Because I was visiting and one thing led to another. Long story short. <sighs> I was becoming a monster, and that wasn't cool, right? And I had to make amends to the people that I hurt. That was part of my 12 steps. That's part of the 12 steps. But my thing for you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're out there and you have children, you have little kids in the house and teenagers in the house, and you you still have the gumption and balls and audacity to go get a bottle, I'm suggesting you really sit down with this podcast. You really try to go seek some help today. All right. This is not a rock bottom conversation. If you have children, this is right now. We're going to discuss some things because if you're out there, you need to know you're dead wrong. There's no justification for become creating a, a toxic environment and walking around the house steaming and fuming with that toxicity and that demonic energy and becoming a monster to the kids and to the family. Whether you're a mother or whether you're a father, alcohol does not discriminate against genders and it's ugly, all right? It's very ugly. And I'm sure my ex-girlfriend could come on this podcast and say, I remember when Pop was ugly. There was days where I was ugly. I'm not, I'm not, but I don't have kids, Okay, thank God, because what if, what if the conversation was different? You know, I have a three or four year old and then they're, they, you know, they're eight or nine now and I'm six years sober and I had to get, I had to ask my kid for forgiveness. That would be a nightmare. That would be a nightmare because one, children never asked to be here. You was having a good old time with that person you love and you gave birth to that kid. That kid was born not out of their free will, out of your free will. So we don't have the right to abuse our children. And that's where I draw the line because my father drank. He never abused me, period. My dad drank. He didn't abuse me. My dad would go to sleep and mind his business. You know, I didn't like the way him and my mom fought at times, but it wasn't necessarily the super abusive environment, you know, um, you know, could it, it could have been better, 
I would have liked to have not seen as much drinking, but that was my childhood. It wasn't terrible. Back then, I mean, I grew up in the 70s, so, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s, and it was just kind of like, you know, that's what people did. They they would cook a lot of food, they would get a, they would hang out, and they would drink. But, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm blessed that my dad wouldn't get drunk and then, like, punch me and beat me up and throw me down a flight of stairs and abuse me and tell me I'm not shit and tell me I'm never going to be nothing. I didn't have to go through that. Thank God. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, what's one of the biggest motivators? If you're thinking about conceiving or if you have children and you're out there, your next step if you are an alcoholic or you are doing drugs, is to have the hard conversation about recovery and what steps do we need to take, all right? First step, if you are a parent and you are struggling with addiction, you need to check yourself into a detox clinic, Okay, if you have kids and you're listening to this and you're drinking and you are creating an abusive environment for your children inside your house at this moment, you have the permission for me to call a family member you can trust and say, I'm dealing with this spiritual and moral dilemma and I know it's wrong and my kids don't deserve this and I'm willing to take the steps. And I heard this podcast and a gentleman told me to call you because I need someone that I could be honest with and trust. Can you come get me and take me to the hospital so I can detox? The first steps to any rehab or treatment is detox. I never recommend cold turkey because detoxing from hardcore alcohol and drugs can be dangerous. The withdrawal symptoms can be dangerous and detrimental to your health. So I suggest a medical assisted detox. So all you have to do is go to a hospital or go to a state sanctioned medical detox center and be honest and let them know your drug of choice. Alcohol, heroin, crack, meth, doesn't matter. Marijuana doesn't matter. Um, And tell them that you want to detox. And after you successfully detox, they give you a counselor. And that counselor will give you some options. Okay, so what are some of the options once you go to your three-day detox? Detox is usually three days. All right. Some of the options are as follows. You could do an inpatient rehabilitation where it's short term, maybe it's somewhere between like, you know, 30 days to 90 days, you know, inpatient type of thing or outpatient type of thing. You could do inpatient. That's where you would go to a facility and you would go through the rehabilitation process and you would do that inpatient, meaning that you won't be able to have access to your house or your home and you'll be in this facility for a set amount of time, okay? Um, And then you have outpatient. So you have some people who's like, oh no, I can't do outpatient. I always recommend inpatient unless you have the right environment to do it outpatient. I did a one-year outpatient um, rehabilitation for my alcoholism. 
And the reason why I chose outpatient was it was basically the cheaper option for insurance because I didn't have insurance at the time and I had to do everything retroactively. So it was the cheaper of two options. That's the first thing. And the second thing was um, I was in a shelter, uh, what they call a three-quarter house. It was a rehabilitation three-quarter house, meaning that I had to stay in a sober house and travel to the inpatient medical facility for the rehabilitation process. So I had to go every day, I had to take a urine test to, to so they could make sure that I was sober and I didn't relapse or nothing, right? So you can't fool these guys. Every day you gotta check in every day and take urine, right? And then you have to go to two or three groups a day. And then you have to see your counselor, and then you have to see a doctor, and you have to make sure that you're healthy, they take your blood, your vitals, you have to make sure you eat, make sure you get your insurance in order, they help you find work, and it helps you rehabilitate your life. So rehab is not just about detoxing or just rehab is about addressing all of the issues that cause us to drink and drug. Right. So you have someone that's you have a counselor and a caseworker, someone who's going to talk to you straight. You can't play with them. They've seen it all. They've seen the good, bad and ugly. So they're going to be like, well, look, if you serious, you got to listen to me. If you don't listen to me, you out the program. We don't care. We want to help you, but we're not going to play games with you. And that's exciting. Right. Because I'm going to tell you why it's exciting, ladies and gentlemen, because sometimes when you're struggling with addiction, you want the help, but you're not sure what it looks like. Right. And when you have a team of people that's all devoted to your success and they have this system laid out for you. You're going to go to group. You're going to be sitting amongst 30, 20, 10 to 30 other people that are struggling with similar issues as you. Then you're going to be dealing with a counselor. And then the counselor is going to say, well, I want you to go see a psychiatrist or a a psychiatrist so we can determine your mental stability and your mental health. And so you get all of these rehabs, I mean, these options and rehab. So this is allotted to you. If now, if you don't have insurance, the state usually provides free um, rehabilitation services for people who need it. All right. Um, We live in the United States, for God's sake. If you're in the USA, you could go to your just go to the emergency room. That's the first step. Detox from there and then tell them you want to go to a rehab center. I mean, if you got to deal with the state, deal with the state. If you have to ask a family member. I mean, another thing. Family members out there will come together and put the money together to see you win. So if you serious, let's start the process today. Now, I'm never this hard on anyone who doesn't have children. But if you're a parent and your kids are struggling with this abuse, you don't want your kids growing up 20 or 30 years from now resentful to you, hurtful. Now, they you passed on the generational curse of drugs and alcohol to them, and then now they're abusing their kids. They blame it on you, and it's just a sad cycle. If you Don't you want to end the cycle? It's all about ending the cycle of toxicity. Um, and I'm a promoter and an avid proponent to um, for parents getting the help that they need, all right? Because um, I know what it's like to, you know, I could relate to what it's like to be in an alcoholic environment. I just can't, you know. I know, I know how bad it could get. I know how, you know, I know what it's like. You know, I have a lot of friends. I mean, I do have family members who struggle. I mean, it's real, you know. Um, 
So that's what I want to talk about. And I have a clip that I wanted to play for you guys, a short four-minute clip from psych to go where they talk about the seven, um, they talk about how alcoholic parents affect children, right? And the seven ways they affect children. So this is real. And we love the kids, man. We love the kids. And I'm not saying that to be like, kids are too cute, man. These little kids are too cute. They do not deserve it. And you guys out there who's like single parent, like, you know, you're having kids and you're not in their lives because of your addiction. You don't want your kids growing up without a dad. They need their dad. You know what I'm saying? They need their dad. It's too much. It's too much. You know, we can't let alcohol and drugs take away our kids' future and fun. And it doesn't matter if your life was shit and your parents were alcoholics. Don't perpetuate the cycle. I'm tired of hearing that, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I took the steps because I said to myself, I cannot, no, I no longer, I don't know, I don't want to become a monster, one, and I don't want to hurt anyone in my life anymore, two, and I do not want to have kids and be dealing with alcohol. And I would certainly never, ever, ever marry anyone or have kids with anyone that's struggling with alcohol. I mean, we would have to have a conversation about getting the help that they need once kids come into the picture, if you know what I'm saying. Because this thing about children is the most serious commitment we can make to the universe and to ourselves. Because every time I look into a kid's eye, if they, if they grow up, every, like, like everyone that's dark, you grow up dark, you're out there killing people, you're, you're, you're racist, or you're angry, or you hate the world, or you're just a malicious person, or you're just bitter, and you're just angry and negative, and everywhere you go, you rub people the wrong way, and your outlook on life is dark. I don't blame you 90% of the time. It's usually your parents or your environment. You know, 90% of the time, you meet that person's family, and you're like, oh, I see why you like that. They crazy, too. You know what I'm saying? Now, they, you, people like that usually have a brother and sister who grew up in the same exact environment and they're nothing, they're not negative. They're very positive because they made a conscious choice not to be like, you know, not to be forced to be like their parents, not to be dictated by just DNA. Sometimes we could change the DNA. Sometimes we could change the behavior. We could change the programming. It's called conscious reprogramming. You have a choice. You could always make a decision. And I'm asking you, this is a call of action between you and I. The beautiful thing about this podcast is always going to be between you and me. I don't care how many people listening. You're going to probably listen to this in your car. And I'm talking to you in a specific way because between you and me, I want you to know you could do it. If you have kids and you're drinking, you got to stop today, man. We have to. You have to. You do not have the liberty if you are an alcoholic and you cannot stop. If you're drinking in the morning, if you need a drink to feel normal in the morning, and if you drink and you're constantly fighting, and if someone in your family is asking you to stop, and and there's concern, and there's division in your family, you need to stop. Okay, so what's the steps again? Contact the person that you can trust and love, best friend, cousin, brother, sister, doesn't matter, stranger, police, ambulance, call it, call 911, 
I'm an alcoholic, I'm sick, can you please take me to the hospital, I need to detox and I need rehab. The, the, the ambulance, the cops, they love that. They love to hear that. They live for that. They'll help you. All right. I support the police. I, I support police. I support the ambulance. I support our state workers. Without them, where would we go? You know how many times cops was there to help me? How many times cops came and took me to rehab? They could have beat me up. They could have did a lot of things, but they was always compassionate. Um, and I was lucky because you hear horror stories where they're not compassionate. But, you know, I was lucky. My experience was always positive. So call the police if you don't have anyone you could trust or ask tell them the truth i'm an alcoholic i don't want to hurt my kids and i want to and i want to be a good i want to do the right thing let's do the right thing and if i'm coming across condescending preachy judgmental so what i don't care i usually don't but i'm telling you right now if you have children there's no choice in the matter do Ladies and gentlemen, that first segment uh, was very intense, and I just want to say to you guys, I'm very passionate about this, all right? Um, I have almost, I can't count all my friends who struggle with alcoholic parents, and it's not, it's, it's not a racial thing. I mean, I have white friends, Chinese friends, Indian friends, doesn't matter, Spanish friends, alcohol doesn't discriminate right and this is just extremely passionate because you see these beautiful kids they grow up with so many horror stories and their whole identity is challenged by um and affected based on their upbringing because they lived in these violent um toxic environments where their parents kind of can never get past the alcoholism and it just really turned these kids lives upside down and some of them are struggling with alcohol and harder drugs to this day because of their parents and I think this is one of those subjects where we have to draw a line in the sand and say okay now well once you have that baby you know the little party's over and if you can't stop maybe we should talk about professional help today Okay, I love you guys. Um, a quick overview on our next clip from Psych to Go, and then we're gonna wrap this up. Um, alcoholic parents affect kids in many ways. One of the ways is um, children grow up to have trouble understanding what a normal family looks like. So this is really important because when a when a kid grows up in an alcoholic or drug environment, it's very dysfunctional. And it's very hard for them to make decisions when they're older on what normalcy should be. So in their life, they don't, you know, it's just hard. They don't know what it looks like. They, they're pretty much guessing. And that's not fair because they don't have a really good example of what a normal household should look like. And that's just, you know, normal things, you know, communication, how to communicate without yelling or fighting or being angry. Sometimes, you know, alcoholic kids grow up where they're not able to communicate properly because they was always afraid of being chastised or abused by their parents if they spoke out. So they lose their voice. They can't really express that. I could identify with that in, in a few ways, but, you know, it's not always about me. You know what I'm saying, guys? I'm, you know, um, so that's really important. Um, 
if you get sober, you're going to give your children a chance to have a more normal environment. You're going to give yourself a chance to have a more normal environment. And I'm talking to the addict right now. So look, you know, I'm like, okay, this is a really passionate subject to me, but I really just want you guys to win too. Because I can say, I know if you're out there and you're drinking and drugging and you have kids, you feel horrible. You don't need me telling you about that. You, you're going through it. And I love you because I was going through it. I just didn't have children. But I was hurting my nieces and nephews. And, well, not necessarily, but I was, by example, if they saw me intoxicated, it wasn't pretty. So that's hurtful in itself, right? So just keep that in mind. You know, you want to create a normal environment. Alcoholic parents raise kids to also have identity issues, you know, this is really important. You hear this a lot. Children suffer from identity conflicts in their identity. and They don't really, they're not sure about themselves. They, that they have insecurity issues and they lack certain confidence and they're not, it's just a, it's just their identity is screwed up because they grow up in this confusing environment. One minute the, the, the parent is happy. Next minute the parent is sad. One minute the parent is cursing at them. One minute the parent is crying. One, the next minute they're telling them they love you. The next minute they're telling them you, you're a piece of shit. You understand what I'm saying? It gets confusing. Um, trust issues. Uh, you know, Children that grow, grow grows up in an alcoholic household tend to have major trust issues because you can't trust your parent if they're alcoholic or they're doing drugs all the time. Because, you know, one minute, they're like I said, one minute they're going to be happy, next minute they're going to be sad, next minute they're going to be smacking you, next minute they're going to be spitting on you, next minute they're going to be this and that. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get cursed out or you're going to get screamed at or you're going to be kissed and hugged. It's confusing. So you build trust issues because you can't rely on an alcoholic. You can't rely on someone who does drugs. I could tell you, I, I, I used to blow it. I used to miss birthday parties. I used to make promises to people I couldn't keep. You know, I'd be sleep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, where's this guy at? He's sleeping. This kid's knocked out. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, straight up knocked out. Um, and that and that's the nature of the beast. Hey, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. Um, avoiding conflict at all costs. So another thing, kids who grew up who grow up with alcoholic parents tend to avoid conflict at all costs because They don't have a voice. They didn't have a voice growing up. They couldn't speak out because they'll be abused. They'll be hit. They'll be physically abused. You hear it all the time. You try to tell your father or somebody, oh, you know, but you're drunk and you're drinking. They're going to go get the belt, beat you to a bloody oblivion, and then, you know, then they're going to go drink some more and pass out. So how are you going to be able to speak up in that environment? What happens is the kid grows up and the kid feels extremely lousy and they don't have the confidence to speak up for themselves. So they avoid conflict. They become yes men. Yes, this, yes, that. Okay, okay, okay. Then they try to overcompensate and be there for everybody and they try to make everyone else happy. And it's just this, it's this cycle. It's just not fair to the kid. The other thing is fear of abandonment. Um, This is real because... You know, look, man, it's sad. You know, in the United States, there's 45, 45% of the U.S. population is exposed to alcohol. That's 76 million people, ladies and gentlemen. 26 million of those people are children. So fear of abandonment is sad. Because in this case, you have a situation where... 
kids can never rely on a parent that's an addict. And they just grow up and anyone that they date, anyone that tries to love them or come into their life, they're just looking for one reason to let them go because they're afraid to love, they're afraid to be loved because they're always afraid of being heartbroken and left alone and abandoned. And this is what parents are doing to kids, all right? So this alcohol and drug thing is cute until it's not, all right? And it's not cute at all, but you know what I mean. You know, Friday night looks fun until you're doing it with a little baby, you know? And then your kid gets hurt, all right? So number six is... um, you kids grow up that kids who grow up in an alcoholic environment either try either they become two one or two things, either they create a perfectionist mindset where they want everything they grow up and everything has to be perfect and super attention to detail and they're afraid of messing anything up or you know they they assume blame they take blame for things that's not their responsibility and they're just super perfect because they were always afraid of making any mistakes when they were younger so that's how they grow up. Or, on the other hand, they could become super irresponsible because being a perfectionist is too difficult. They just give up. Say, you're going to hit me anyway. You're going to hate me anyway. So why do anything? So you create kids who either is these bipolar or these extremes. Um, And I just personally feel like that's sad because a lot of these things I could relate to in my own way because another thing that you'll learn is that Kids who grow up in alcoholic households are not too different from kids who grow up in super religious households or super authoritative households, whereas one of the parents is super abusive or they're super strict or authoritarian, um, and uh, you know, authoritative. So I think these type of environments are kind of like create these little problems with kids. But in an a, a, a alcoholic parent or alcoholic parents really do a good job of screwing up a child and their developmental issues and how they their outlook on life and stuff. Lastly, kids who grow up in these environments are usually attracted to excitement um, and instability and they look and seek passion and excitement. So, you know, they can never really quite settle down. They're always looking for that next thrill and that next boom and that next thing and they're always they're usually drifters and they're they're going from one place to another and they can't stay in one stable relationship and they're bouncing around and they always need some stimulus it's because they grew up in such a unstable environment it was such an emotional roller coaster that they grow up with the inability to be stable and they seek excitement, and that usually leads to hard drugs, more alcoholism, and then that's how you see this cycle perpetuate itself. This is usually called a generational curse in the, in the spiritual world. We call this a generational curse of addiction. It, it starts from, it, it goes down into the family bloodline, and then you see it. So that's one of the other reasons I decided to get sober. I was very serious, and you can ask my brothers, my brother, one of my brothers is a very spiritual, well, all my brothers are very spiritual. And I remember telling my older brother, I said, you know what, I have to end this negative generational curse with me that I'm going to cut the cord in my bloodline of this alcoholism with me. I'm taking a stand and I'm not letting this go past my generation. 
If I see one of my kids or nieces and nephews or someone that I love with a drink, we're going to have a heavy conversation because I know what that bloodline looks like. I know what alcoholism looks like in a bloodline. And I know that generational curse is not going to be extended past me. And that's me taking a social responsibility and a responsibility as an elder in the family. And so if you're struggling out there, I'm not giving you a tongue lashing. I'm saying, let's get real. This is between you and me anyway, right? I'm not, this is not going to be play. I'm not talking, I'm not calling you out on national TV. If you're out there, I love you. Seriously, come on. Don't, don't, don't bring it to the kids. Come on, don't do that. Let's, let's just, let's just get the help we need today. And this is the upside. You get the help you need today. Your kids is going to love you so much more because they're going to see the struggle. They're going to see you transform. They're going to see you make the sacrifice, but you have to do it for yourself. All right. You can't do it for the kids. You have to do it for yourself because you're not going to get sober for just the kids. You have to get sober because you want to live. Don't beat yourself up. And in in loving yourself, you'll love your kids. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to cut to um, um, the psych to go clip where it talks about the seven benefits, the the seven effects that alcoholic parents have on their children. And we're going to wrap this episode. My name is Pop Buchanan. December 15th, I'll be seven years sober. Guys, I'm so excited. I don't have kids yet, but I'm working on it. You know, Um, I want to have kids before I turn 40. Doubt that'll happen. I'll turn 40 next month. So we'll see. But either way, I could say this, that I can affect the next generation and my sobriety, I hope will help. And that's the one gift I want to give myself, the, 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 the God gave me a gift, and I'm going to pass it on. So when I do have children, I could guarantee that they'll grow up in a sober house. I love you guys. God bless you. And please, no matter what, always remember, sober is dope. Catch you on the other side. According to American Addiction Centers, roughly 45% of the U.S. population has been exposed to some form of alcoholism or alcoholic behavior within their family. This translates to as many as 76 million people, and approximately 26 million of those individuals are children. Our purpose is to create a space where you feel safe, heard, and connected in regards to the struggles you face. Even though this article pertains to alcoholic parents, if you were raised in a household that had overly strict religious attitudes, parents with chronic illnesses, or parents exhibiting other compulsive behavior such as gambling, drug abuse, or overeating, then you may also find it relatable. We hope that by passing along the following information, it helps you understand what's happening, whether that pertains to the relationship you have with others or the conflict you experience internally. Here's seven ways alcoholic parents affect their children. Number one, you have a hard time understanding what normal healthy family relationships are. Adult children struggle with understanding what a normal family is like because they don't have an example to follow during their childhood. As a result, they have to guess what it means to be normal. They may also not understand the difference between good role models and bad ones. When you're little, you expect your parents to be superheroes, so their behavior and actions are never wrong, even if they hurt you. Number 2. You're hard on yourself and you find it challenging to relax or make light of situations. Children of alcoholic parents have a hard time giving themselves a break. They often feel like they have to go the extra mile and do things to the best of their ability because they feel like a failure otherwise. 
As a result, children of alcoholic parents may grow up with identity issues because they're unsure about who they are when they aren't doing more to fulfill themselves. Number three, you have trust issues, which makes it difficult for you to establish close, intimate relationships. Children who grow up with alcoholic parents find it hard to trust others when they experience such a chaotic relationship with them. It's their first relationship they ever built, which leaves a huge scarring effect that unfortunately influences the way they form relationships later on in their adulthood. They have difficulty being vulnerable and opening up, afraid that someone will hurt or betray them because they've been constantly let down by their parents' toxic behavior. Number four, you're frightened by conflict, angry people, and authority figures in general. Alcoholic parents can be angry, mean, and abusive. As a result, children who grow up with them may experience verbal, physical, and or sexual abuse. Because their parents may not have created a safe space where they are allowed to express their emotions, they may try to avoid conflict at all costs because they fear upsetting their parents. This makes it hard for children to confront their alcoholic parents about issues that hurt or bother them. Number five, you have a fear of being abandoned. Alcoholic parents are often emotionally or physically unavailable. As a result, children who are raised by them often develop a fear of being abandoned. When they find themselves in relationships that are bad for them, they don't always know how to leave them because the thought of being alone scares them more. Number six, you're either super responsible and have perfectionistic tendencies or the opposite. Children who grow up with alcoholic parents may have faced a lot of harsh criticism from them. This often causes the child to try to be perfect in order to avoid hearing hurtful words. As a result, children of alcoholic parents may grow up to be workaholics and overachievers. They also tend to blame themselves, so they may take responsibility for problems that weren't even their own. On the other hand, children who grew up with alcoholic parents may become irresponsible too, when they've given up on trying to be perfect. Since their parents always criticize them, they may not see the point in trying at all. Number seven. You may often be attracted to excitement and want to save people, confusing love with pity. Children of alcoholic parents are often attracted to excitement because they have experienced an unpredictable roller coaster of chaos. As a result, they mistake that sort of instability as passion, so they seek the same kind of experience within their romantic relationships. Often, adult children of alcoholic parents are attracted to cold and emotionally unavailable partners who they try to fix or save. It makes them feel wanted, but those type of relationships are inevitably sour when they entered them all for the wrong reasons initially. Living in a household that negatively affected your personal growth can be difficult. We want to let you know that you're not alone and encourage you to share your story with us in the comments below.